Hello, everybody. Welcome to Calvary Church. We're glad that you're here. Uh, if you come regularly or, uh, man, for days, weeks, months, years, we're glad to have you here again. And maybe it's your first or second time, and we're sure glad to have you here. And wherever you are in that process, we just want to be helpful to you. And uh, again, we're, we're kind of in this phase of, of relaunching everything and have a lot of exciting things coming. But um, before we have all of our processes revigorated the way they should be, just grab one of us who you've seen on stage, if you're newer, whatever we can do to help you guys. Um, <clears throat> we're excited about it. As we become more purposeful in moving people and serving you better, I want to just uh, ask you and invite you to do two different things, two things I would love for you to do. The first thing is I would like for you to Remember the date and save the date of February 13th. If you're married or you're in a relationship, you should also remember February 14th and get you a little card or something, right? That is an important date as well. But that has nothing to do with us as a church. February 13th, it is a... Uh, day we've kind of marked and we're continuing to move towards uh, being able to worship together in one service on that day, one nine o'clock service on February 13th. Again, we've tried for the past two years to be safe, make sure we're doing, and I know there's different opinions about what that looks like, but our heart is to care for you well. And um, so to the degree we can safely put us all in one service, which we are pretty comfortable we will do, we're going to worship as one body on February 13th. And then uh, it'll be at 9 o'clock, and so if you come now, you'll have missed it. But if you come now, you will be able to come to something else on that time, because after that one 9 o'clock service together, we're going to have a uh, family meeting at this time. There's no crisis. There's no bad news. We want to share good news. We want to share exciting news. We want to get you in this room, and like we've said, we've been, as a leadership team, really praying for, man... I don't know, months and months about what does God really want us to specifically press into for 2022 and the years to come in terms of vision, in terms of what can we rally around, right? What opportunities are you putting in front of us as a church? <clears throat> How can we grab that vision and chase that vision? And so on February 13th, we're going to share with you just what the leadership, the elders feel is the vision and biblical vision. We're real excited about it. And then we're going to share some very, very practical next steps for you on that day, right? So we don't want to just put something on a PowerPoint, uh, the screen and be done with it. We want to help move you towards that and engage you in that, invite you into that. And so that will also be some of that conversation on that day. We'll have child care available for your kids, so that hopefully will serve you. So February 13th, come on out, and then February 20th, we're going to be launching uh, several new environments during this time, and so we're just excited to tell you all about that. So February 13th, one service worshiping together. February 13th, after that service at this hour, we'll have a family meeting, and so I'd love, first thing I'd want you to do is invite you to put that on your calendar. Second thing, as we think about uh, 2022 and the year ahead, second thing I would just really ask you to do uh, is just pray for the elders, right? If you don't, if that's a churchy word, we got this leadership board of folks who are kind of like the, the spiritual board. Pray for them. Pray for us as elders, us as pastors. Pray for a bunch of us who are leading teams as lay leaders because we really do want to do what God has for our church. And our heart is to serve the body well and to serve our community well. And we want to do that wisely and strategically, but we don't want to just do it on our own plans. We want to be alert and aware of what God has for us. And so I really would covet your prayers and ask you to pray just for wisdom, for continued clarity, for guidance. I'd also ask you to pray. Man, I'm so grateful for Emmanuel and for Luke and for Joey 
who kind of in this season we're in in an interim way have been filling in on worship. But we've, we've got an active worship pastor, worship director search going. And we know that God has the person who kind of on a permanent basis is going to come and be that to help lead us in worship. And we just would ask you to pray that God would help uh, bring those, those, us and that person together. And man, these guys, they're working 40, 50 hours a week and then on top of that serving us. And we're grateful for that. But we, we want to make sure uh, we just get, God's got a person and we want you to pray for that. So two things I'd like you to do. Mark down the 13th. Continue to pray for God's leadership and direction, we'd really appreciate that. So let's jump into the text. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll move into what God has for us this morning. Father, this is your church, and you are in charge of it, and you have the plans for it, and you know what next month looks like. You know what the next decade looks like, and we simply want to be obedient to you, and we want to be listening to you, and we want to be just serving well and reaching out and, and, and knowing what that looks like for our body and for this season. So, Father, we are grateful for the opportunity we have to serve under you. Uh, we know that, that you're the ultimate shepherd, and we're grateful we can serve for you in this body. And so just give us wisdom. Give us direction. I do pray as we're looking for some active positions that you and your timing will bring different people's stories into our story, and uh, you'll just make very clear who you have to serve alongside of our pastoral minister team to serve this body well, God. So I also bring that to you. I pray this morning for the text, and Father, that we know that your word accomplishes its purposes. And this morning, if there's somebody who this is directly for them, whether they're sitting on one of the blue chairs or whether they'll be watching this online, God, I pray that the distractions will be diminished, <clears throat> that your spirit will press this into our hearts so that we will hear your word for exactly where we find ourselves today, and that may be a comfort or a guidance to some people. So thank you for this moment, Father. Will you be honored and glorified, and we trust in you. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask some questions that <clears throat> are kind of silly questions because I already know uh, what many of you will answer, but, but here are the questions that I'm going to ask anyway. Has there ever been a moment in your life, a time in your life where you've just been discouraged? Has there ever been a season or a chapter in your life that's just been really, really difficult and really, really challenging for a variety of reasons? Maybe you were there last year, maybe you were there last month, maybe you're there this morning. Has there ever been something physically with health that, that you're, just, you're just walking through that moment and it's not what you thought it would be and you're trying to make sense of it all. Maybe it's financial. <clears throat> You've faced some unexpected financial challenges or situations or what you had planned didn't work out and there's anxiety or there's stress. Maybe it's spiritual. That spiritually, I mean, you believe there's a God, but you're just kind of dry. And you're just feeling a little empty and a little vacant and you, you feel like in your faith you're grabbing on to vapors, maybe it's something emotional, that your story has never involved anxiety or depression, but man, you've just entered into this moment where there's this anxiety you can't shake, or this discouragement that's weighing down upon you. Maybe it's a relationship issue, a financial issue. Have you ever faced right, any of those moments, any of those seasons? And if you have, if you are, and when you do, what you'll know is it's really, really challenging when you're in those moments, but what also is really, really challenging is when you get stuck in those moments. 
And sometimes you get into a season and you don't know how you got there and you don't know why you're there, but you just can't seem to get yourself out and you don't know what to, what to do. And, and in those moments when you enter the season, you're in the season, you're stuck in the season. There, there's different things you have as you think about what do I go forward. And in that moment, no matter where you are spiritually or what you believe, you have a choice of what you're going to think about and you have a choice of what you're going to believe in those moments. In those moments, you can believe one of two things. You can believe truth, you can believe things that are true, or you can believe untruth. You can believe things that are lies. When we face moments of discouragement, when you have faced moments of discouragement, today when you're in a moment of discouragement and you're stuck there, you have a choice about what you're going to believe. You can either believe things that are true or you can believe things that are not true. And true things, to the degree we believe those on those moments, those can help stabilize us. Those can help kind of just anchor us, right? They, they can give us a steady foundation to stand. Truth can stabilize us, but things that are lies can either get us further off track or more deeply trapped in that moment in which we find ourselves in which we don't want to find ourselves for much longer. And if you've ever been discouraged, if you've ever felt stuck, if you've ever had those moments, and what I want to say to you today is this text is for you. This text is for you. And when you face moments and when you face discouragement and when you get stuck in some of those things, this text is for you. I, I told you when I come back from my sabbatical that during my sabbatical, I went to different churches, and when I would literally sit in the parking lot, one thing I would pray is, okay, God, I want to hear from you, and I don't want this to be wasted. And that person who's going to be preaching, they better not be mailing it in, because God, I, I, want, I want something from you. And I, this morning, you know what I've prayed last night and again early this morning? I've prayed for one person. And I know that sounds so like evangelically cheesy, like, is there one person who wants to serve God better, right? By the way, that is like a gimme question. If a pastor ever gets in front of you and says, is there one person here who wants to know God better? That's just because they want you to stand up. Because of course, there's more than one person that wants to serve God better. So I'm not trying to be cheesy, but what I'm trying to do is honestly my prayer the past 48, 72 hours has been for one person who either has been on the blue chairs or is watching us online, either live now or later this week, who you're just in a season and you've rolled in today and you just need some way to move forward. And I pray that this text, God will use it for you because it is for you and it is for us today, right? There's going to be some instructions that let us know, okay, what are we going to think? And there's going to be some truths and some realities for us to grab onto to enable us to combat some of the lies that have been going, that we've been reading. So the text today, we're finishing up our series in the book of James, where we do, as many of you know, as we go through the Bible um, book by book, chapter by chapter, we've been walking through the book of James. And in a few weeks, we're going to start Nehemiah in about two weeks. So we got one more week in James next week, in addition to this week. And then we kick off a book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And this is where we are in James. Second to last big section, it's James chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 7 through 12. So if you got you your Bible, if you got you your device, now is the moment for you to open those up, right? James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to come back and unpack it together. And here's what Jesus' brother writes and says. <clears throat> Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take those prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Structurally in James, where we were last week, if you were here, you watched or you checked us out, God was talking to wealthy Christians who were not using their money the right way. And one of the outcomes of them failing to use their money in the right way or get their money in the right way is that there were other people in the church who were being hurt. There were other people in the church who were going through difficulties because the rich people weren't caring for them or they weren't paying them and there were all sorts of challenges. And this week, what James is talking to is not the wealthy people who may be causing difficulties with their money, but he's now talking to people who are facing difficulties. And some commentators, many commentators think, well, maybe what James is doing now is saying, hey, last week I yelled, or, you know, first, last paragraph I yelled at the rich people who are causing people to be hurt, and now if you've been hurt, people, and you're facing difficulties because you've been mistreated, I want to talk to you. Maybe that's the original audience to which James wrote, but, but clearly what James is doing is he's writing to anybody who's facing difficulties and some challenges. And, and what he's talking to and what he tells them is this. He gives us one big overarching thing to do when we get into those moments or we're stuck in those moments or when people treat us poorly. Here, here's what he tells us to do. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, my brothers. Be patient, Therefore, my brothers, to people who are facing difficulties and challenges, maybe people, be patient. Now, that certainly applies when we face general hard times, but there's really something interesting about this word that seems to perhaps suggest a particular type of difficulty. This word, patient, in the Greek is a compound word made up of two words, right? It is made up of the word makros, thumos. Makros, Thumos. Come on, give me a macros. Yes, how about a thumos? Yes, so next time you go to a Greek restaurant, get you some like baklava, spanakopita, and a nice order of macros thumos to go, right? Here's what macros thumos means. It makes up the word patience, but it has two different meanings. Macros means long, and thumos means tempered. Long, tempered, meaning Take a while to get angry. Don't get angry, right? Be patient. Don't lose your temper. Don't become bitter. And what some people seem to suggest is th this clearly applies when there's general challenges, right? When you have situations. But this might also specifically apply, and it does specifically apply, when the difficulties that you're facing are being caused by difficult people. When you're facing hardships in your life, and those hardships in your life have been caused by the way that other people have acted. Some people think there's a specific application to that. This challenge to be patient applies when the difficulties that we face have been caused by difficult people. And it also more broadly applies when we face any type of difficulties. And in those moments, what God wants us to do is to be patient. Be patient. Now... It's super easy to say that. <clears throat> the question is, well, okay, that's easy to say, but how do we do that? 
I have a flattish roof on my house that has leaked, and I've called some roofing companies to fix it, and long story short, they haven't really fixed it. They put a lot of caulk around. I, I don't know. So one day I said, you know what? Man, I'm going to fix me my roof. Now, I'm not actually going to fix me my roof. What I did is I called a friend, who some of you may know, who's been a contractor for decades, and I'm like, bro, we got to fix this roof. So uh, he was so kind, gave up so much of his time in fixing and helping me fix it. Well, he actually fixed it. I watched and would give him coffee and a hammer. Okay, But there were some things that I could do. And at one point, he gave me an instruction, right? This is an instruction. At one point, he gave me an instruction. He said, okay, and here's what you should know about roofs. If you need to put that, like, weather watch, ice dam stuff, uh, you got to take off some of the shingles, cedar shingles that are on the side of your thing to weave it up on there. So he's like, okay, Smith, here's what you got to do. Pull those shingles down from the side of your house about three or four layers. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, do I get a sawzall and just start, and he said, no, what you need to find, and I still have one of y'alls, you need to get you a Slater tool. Does anybody know what a Slater tool is? Okay, this is a better percentage than first service. There's two of you. I did not know either. Here's what a Slater tool is. A Slater tool is like this crowbar-looking-y thing, and at the top it's kind of got these prongs, and it's really cool. What you do is you take this tool, and you slide it, kind of wedge it under the shingle, and you pop it down, and the nails pop off, and then you just nicely slide the shingles off the side of your house, right? It is a tool that gave me some, uh, helped me do what I was supposed to do. His instruction, just to take the shingles off the side of your house, man, it's like, bro, I need a tool to do that. This is just an instruction. But God in his kindness gives us some tools because just hearing be patient when you're going through hard times or be patient when difficult people have caused difficulties for you, that's great, but how do we do that? Let's get some skin in the game. And so God in his kindness through James is going to give us kind of uh, uh, six instructions to do the one thing that he challenges us to do. The instruction is this, be patient when you face difficulties, especially when those are caused by other people. And now he's going to move in the rest of the verses and give us some tools to enable us to do the very thing that he tells us to do. Here's the first tool. There's six of them. We're going to go quickly through some of them, a little bit slower, and some other ones. And here's the first one. We've already read it, but verse 7 tells us the first tool. Be patient. That's the general instruction. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. What James is saying is, look, I know you're stuck in that moment. I know you're facing those feelings. I know you're going through it. But what I want you to know is that you need to be patient in that, but there is an end to that coming. There is a point in time, there is a fixed moment that is the end of that race, the end of that journey, when you're not going to have to be patient anymore. What James is doing is he reminds people, look, it's not always going to be the way that it is. There is an end coming, when, right? And that end will definitely be when Jesus comes back. And so you're not going to have to endure it and be patient forever. He, he gives an example then of somebody who has to wait for something, but knowing that that something's coming enables them to wait. And he talks about this farmer, right? So see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives early and late rains. He says, look, for you guys, you're in the moment, you're stuck in it, but you need to know there's going to be an end to that moment. 
An example for this is a farmer who's waiting and waiting and waiting, and he's able to keep waiting because he knows one day, someday, the little corn is going to bloop out of the ground, and it will come, and he won't have to wait forever. Maybe some of you aren't farmers, and that illustration, yeah, it doesn't really resonate. So let me give another one that I experienced and that some of people in the room know some people who experienced. I think it was 2018. And in 2018, I had the opportunity kind of last minute to go with an amazing group. This is when, this is when people actually got on airplanes and went places. Do you remember that? There was a day that you could actually get on an airplane and fly someplace and get there. Well, I, during my time here at Calvary, if you pay attention, there's a group of missionaries. I think they were focused today. John and Valerie Brown, they're uh, in northern Brazil. They serve in the Amazon. I had the privilege of going with a bunch of adults here for one trip. And then a couple years after that, there was a trip scheduled for young adults and some teens. And for a variety of reasons, last minute, I got to jump on that trip and lead that trip. Let me, let me just kind of set the stage. Have you ever been to Newark Airport? Maybe LaGuardia, JFK, Bradley, even Westchester, okay? Man, great. You got the picture. Let me show you the airport that we flew into on this trip. You can, this, hold on, this building right there, that is the main terminal for Trans-Guyana Airways. I think about 18, your kids all got back safely, so you can all breathe easy. I think about 18 months before we went, they were hijacked, you know, but they weren't hijacked when we went. That is the massive terminal for Trans-Guyana Airways. It is in Guyana. We flew into Guyana. Then, this literally is one of the trucks that we got back and forth from, and there were a couple, oh, this was so fun. There were a couple other four-wheel drive vehicles, so Jesus was kind to us, and we didn't crash in the plane, and then we got into these trucks. And we went to northern Brazil. We crossed the border of Guyana and Brazil. And uh, the deal is there's kind of this retreat center, this compound. That makes it sound scary. A little, little missionary housing because the missionaries that we were serving with, they're living in, in the Amazon jungle where you have to take an airplane to get to to land in the jungle. When they need a break, they come out to kind of this housing, this retreat center. And so we had the opportunity to serve and help do some improvements in that retreat center. And so <clears throat> here's a picture of some amazing young men from Calvary Church, right? This was years ago. They're probably like all now graduated from college. They're not. but uh, And just personally, th- this was a great trip for me. Um, it was a little complicated because I was doing a wedding in Seattle and lots going on. But in the past, I've done some stuff with different organizations, getting to hang out with young adults and teens. Um, but man, it's been a long time since I've gotten to spend... I don't know, five, seven, ten days with the next generation of leaders, with emerging Christians and leaders. And it was a joy for me to be able to spend this time with these teens. And then we took a couple of 20-year-old leaders and just personally very enriching to be able to pour into these people's lives and have that that privilege. This, if you can't tell what it is, it's a big old pile of gravel. When it first was there, it was like there. And there were about three or four of these. And part of the tasks were we had to, we had to move this gravel somewhere else because there was this driveway, these roads there that got all rutted out. So we had to take the gravel, we had to fill the roads. And so <clears throat> this was our project for, man, I don't know, three or four days, it was literally tons of gravel. Now, let me just kind of point out, you see one dude's got the wheelbarrow, here's a little wheelbarrow, and a couple of shovels. Man, wheelbarrow, dude, that's the job you wanted right there. 
Okay, this is kind of like the, you know, the foreman at the job who gets to drink their coffee, smoke their cigarette, and yell at people and tell them what to do. The job you did not want were these dudes with the shovels. Because, man, that gravel, it was kind of fun for about the first four minutes shoveling gravel into a wheelbarrow. But when you start getting to hour six on day three, it ain't no fun no more. And I'm not the smartest person, but what I quickly realized is this, okay, we just can't have this dude wheelbarrowing in day, this dude shoveling, because old boy's going to like smack someone in the head with that shovel, and it's going to be mutiny that breaks out. So what we did is we all took shifts, and there were like 10 or 15-minute rotations for three days, for seven hours a day. And man, for 15 minutes, you were wheelbarrow boy. For 15 minutes, you were shoveler boy. And then we switched, right? And here's what happened on day two and a half, on hour six, when the shoveler person was worn out because they didn't know if they could shovel anymore. You know what I'd say to them? You got four more minutes. You got four more minutes of shoveling and then you're wheelbarrow boy. And they would be able to keep shoveling because they knew that they weren't going to have to shovel forever. They knew that there was going to be an end in sight. And for some of you this morning who are stuck in something, what James wants you to remember and what James wants you to know is you're not going to have to shovel forever. There is an end in sight. And that shoveling is hard. And that shoveling is wearing you out and worn you down, but you won't have to shovel forever. Here's the first tool. Know that the difficulty you face will have an end. And I promise you, I promise you that what you're facing, what is hard, what is wearing you down, it will not last forever. It won't. For some of you, Man, in a month, you're not going to have to be shoveling through that anymore. For some of you, on June 7th, you're not going to be facing that anymore. And, and for some of you, we are going to be facing it for a long, long time. And maybe you won't get a relief from it until you literally see Jesus face to face. But there will be a day when you won't have to shovel anymore. Where what you're facing, you won't be facing again. Now, I don't know what day that is, but I do know that is someday. And even if it's not this day, it'll be when Jesus comes back, what you're going through won't last forever. Know that the difficulty you face will have an end. And so, okay, knowing that, right, as we're being patient, this helps us be patient, but, but what are we supposed to do, right? What's the next truth? Well, he tells us, the next truth in verse 8 where he says this. Okay, he reminds us. Okay, second tool to help us. Second truth. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, reminds us, look, your, your 15 minutes is almost up. You're not going to be doing it forever. There's an end to it, right? But as you wait for that end, as you're patient, what he tells you and he tells me in hard times is this. Establish your hearts. That word establish is a really, really interesting word. It, it, it describes a course of action that can't be swayed. It describes this resolute determination, I'm headed that way. In one of the Gospels, and I think it's Mark, uh, one of the biographers of Jesus, there's this point in Jesus' life where 
He knows how the story's going to end. He knows that he's going to go to Jerusalem and be arrested and died. And all of his buddies, all of his friends, different people are like, Jesus, let's call an audible. Let's call a timeout. But he's like, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. He, the, the phrase is, he set his face to Jerusalem. Literally under that is this word for established, meaning that Jesus had established his path to Jerusalem and he wasn't going to be swayed from it. It has this idea of, okay, I, I'm going to be, I know the direction I'm heading, and so I'm going to be propped up. I'm going to stand. I'm going to keep moving in that direction. And what James is saying is when you're going through it, and when you're in it, and when you're facing it, and when it's hard, and when it's difficult, and when it's scary, and when it's unknown, he doesn't want you to veer from your path of following Jesus. He wants you to say, look, I'm, I'm going to be patient, and helping me be patient is knowing it won't last forever, and as I'm waiting for it to end, I am going to keep heading in this direction. I'm not going to collapse under the pressure. I'm not going to let my heart be wooed by other things. I'm going to just walk on. I'm going to walk on. Here's the second tool, the second challenge. Stay the course. Stay the course. <clears throat> There's this documentary on Disney Plus. Um, Disney Plus has Marvel, which is amazing, even though it's nerdy. Okay, uh, but it also has a National Geographic channel and some programming. And there's this amazing documentary um, on the rescue of this soccer team from Thailand. I don't know if you guys remember that a couple years ago. These soccer players, it was somebody's birthday, so 10 to 13 uh, Thai child, you know, teenagers went and they went into this cave uh, for like a little, that common in that neighborhood. That's what the kids did. They went in the cave, but then this unexpected flash flood came and next thing you know, they're trapped in this cave, right? Real story. And what's fascinating <clears throat> about the story, I don't know if you kept up with it, the Thai Navy SEALs, who are experts, man, they didn't know how to go get these kids out. They couldn't figure out. There were American military teams like, par like Air Force parachute jumpers. Those dudes are pretty cool. They're like, man, there's a lot of water in this dark cave. We don't know how to do that. The people that were able, you know who was able to get these kids out of this cave? A bunch of like 54-year-old, three 54-year-old men from England. Right, with some beer bellies and balding heads who liked to dive in caves on the weekend. They were the only people who had the ability, the expertise, the knowledge to do this amazing once-in-a-lifetime rescue on the timetable that they did. Fascinating documentary. I won't ruin it. But, but one of the things, if you watch it... Um, one of the things they do is it is dark, it is murky, right? It is this cave filled with water. With, they would lay this rope. And they started the first step they took into the cave. And as they were scuba diving through this cave, they'd pull this rope with them until they finally got where the boys were. And whenever they went into that cavern and whenever they went out, you know what they just always held on to? That rope. They never let go of the rope. They were fixed to the rope. They didn't veer from it. And for you and for me, when we're faced the challenges that we face, man, we have a rope that is our faith in Jesus. We have a rope that is our faith in Jesus. And the challenge is, look, you stay the course. You just keep holding on to the rope. And you hold on to the rope knowing your success does not depend upon how tightly you hold on to the rope. Your success depends upon the fact that God is also holding on to you. And you just keep pulling and holding and staying the course. 
For those of you this morning who are in it <clears throat> and you wish you weren't, be patient, know that it's going to have an ending, and stay the course. Keep faithful to Jesus. You don't have to know how it all ends. You don't have to know how it all clears up. You just take the next step in obedience to the Lord. As we try to do these things, what attitude should we have? And, and this, I really, uh, I enjoyed all of this, but this is something I didn't even know. I was wrong about something, and I appreciated learning this. Here's the attitude that we're supposed to have. Verse 9, he tells us the attitude. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged, right? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not judge. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, he's talking to Christians who are in a church, and he's telling those Christians in the church, in a body of believers, right? He's saying, look, as you're going through these hard times, don't grumble against one another, brothers. Now, brothers, it's the Greek word. It means brothers, sisters, men, women, everybody, right? Do not grumble against one another. I used to think like the word grumble meant I'm unhappy about something. I'm frustrated. I'm going to come up to you and I'm going to tell you why I'm unhappy. Oh, it's so cold in this room. Why can't they turn the heat up? Or, oh, it's so hot in this room. Why can't they turn the heat down, right? But that's not what grumbling is. Interestingly, as I study this, as I get into it, what, grumbling is this inward thing. Grumbling is this inward, somebody is acting away towards you or somebody's not acting how you want them to do. And it's this inward, <sighs> it's this inward, <sighs> a sigh of anger or an inward sigh of disappointment. This internal bitterness and resentment that you may never express to anybody else, but that starts to build within you because you're, you're frustrated with what somebody else is doing. And I thought this was really interesting because uh, when we go through moments that are sometimes difficult, when we navigate moments that are sometimes difficult, or we're going through moments where other people are making it difficult for us, there is this tendency that I've had in my own heart and I've seen in other people's heart where, where we can become, start to become upset at each other. We can start to become bitter at other Christians in our lives and other people in our lives and resentful. And we think that, man, I'm going through this and I'm facing this. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. And inwardly we become bitter. We go through something and we think, well, they're not defending me. Right? They're abandoning me and this bitterness comes. Why can't, they, why can't they, they understand what's going on? And what James is saying is in those moments, do everything you can to preserve the unity of the body instead of internally becoming bitter towards other Christians because in the process you may be pushing away the very people who God has in your life to care for you in that moment. Here's the third tool, the third truth. In moments when life is hard, do not become <clears throat> bitter towards others in the body. Do not become bitter towards others in the body. And I think there's something interesting in this verse, right? This kind of side note that James puts up here as we get back. Pop, can you put verse 9? Can you put that back up? I don't know if it's next or first. But verse 9 then says this, right? There's this little clause. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
I think what James is doing is reminding them and reminding us that, look, 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 I know you haven't been treated fairly. I know you're frustrated because they're not doing what you want them to do. They've done things you want to do. But what he's saying to them is, but remember, that God is the ultimate judge. You are not. And what he's saying to them is, look, the judge is standing at the door. God is there. God is present. It is his job to judge. It is his job to make it right. It's not your job. And I think sometimes if you've ever gone through a hard time because somebody's hurt you or somebody's betrayed you or somebody has acted a way you wish they hadn't or not acted the way you wish they would. There's this tendency to like, whoa, 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 I want to defend myself. I want everybody to know that I'm right and they're wrong, right? I don't know if you've ever been through something, but there is that, there is that desire like, whoa. I, but that's not ultimately our job. Now, let's not oversteer. Let's not go crazy, right? There's nothing wrong with defending your reputation. That's important. That's necessary. There's nothing wrong with pursuing truth. That's important. That's necessary. But what I've also seen in my own experience is you're not going to be able to convince everybody. You're going to want everybody to know that you were right and they were wrong and agree. And a lot of times in life, you're not going to be able to do that. And sometimes some of the hardest things in life is to say, you know what, I'm not the judge. That's God's job. God knows what happened. God knows who was right. God knows the truth. And we have to come to a place where we're willing to leave it with God and trust him. And there was a moment in my life that had nothing to do with Calvary Church where I didn't think I was treated fairly. And I thought I was right. <clears throat> and I thought somebody else was wrong. And I've been in this moment where it's like, man, I want everybody to know why I'm right and why they're wrong. But you know what? The shrapnel from doing that, what it would have caused to have happened, it wouldn't have been worth it. And so I had to reach a place in my heart where I said, God knows. God knows. It's his job to defend. It's his job to take care. He's the pursuer of the truth. He is the judge who is standing at the door. That's not my ultimate job. I need to leave it with him. Do not become bitter towards others in the body. And sometimes we just need to know it's God's job to defend and to be the judge. And when we're going through those times, what God wants you to know is you're not the first person to face it. He, he sets that up in the next verses in 10 through 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who have remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. Right? What he's saying is, look, you have an example of people who have gone through it. Here's the next tool to use for you in that moment. Remember that others have walked this path. Remember that others have walked your path. You are not alone in facing the difficulty that you're facing. You are not alone in the way that you've been unfairly treated. And in a body of believers, you have people you can look to who have walked that path. What he's saying is in the scripture, you have people who can walk that path. But I think sometimes for a lot of us, what we think is, no, 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 nobody else knows what I'm going through. Nobody else has experienced this. Nobody else can relate. And that's a lie. <clears throat> that's a lie. Do you know how encouraging it can be when somebody brings, has the confidence to tell somebody else what is going on in their life? 
and they're going through something and they reach out and they tell somebody and that somebody says to them, I've been there. I've been there. I know exactly what you're going through. I've had the privilege of sitting up around my brown conference table in my office. It used to be in my office. It's not my office anymore, which is cool. But, right, man, I've met with a handful, several of people here who are parents whose kids are in their 20s or 30s who have come into my office and said, man, look, oh, over Christmas my child told me that they're gay. And trying to process, what do I do with that? And, and you know what I say to them? I, I, man, I encourage them. I say, you know what? There's, there's two or three other people at this church who are going through the same thing. And man, it would be great if I could connect you to them so that together you could walk this road because you're not alone. And as you're trying to love your child and care for your child and know what that looks like for you, you don't have to go through that alone. But what often happens is we get stuck in a moment. We think we're all by ourselves. The more we think we're all by ourselves, we don't tell anybody, which makes us think we're all by ourselves. You're not alone. And we <clears throat> want to either be able to walk with you through that or connect you with other people in this body who can walk you through that. But if you don't tell us, we don't know it. Now, let's just be honest, right? You have, might have an idea what ideal pastoral church care looks like for people. We may do it differently, right? There, there's lots of ways we could do Could we do it better? Yeah, right? Could we improve the way we do it? Sure we could. Of course we could. May we end up in a place where you think, I wish they did it? You might, but, but all of that can be a distraction because here's the deal. We want to care for you. We want to care for you. We want to make sure your community group's caring for you. We want to make sure the leaders in our youth ministry are able to care for your kids. We want to make sure in different moments our pastoral team can care for you, right? We have different lay teams to care for you. But if we don't know it, we can't walk you through it or we can't put you in line with people who can. And this is either too much caffeine or the Holy Spirit. I still don't know. Sometimes it's a fine line, right? Do you ever have that moment? Is this God or should I have not had that extra cup of coffee? Huh, I don't know, but this is what I do know. If you were to come work on my staff, oh, would Jesus give you help if you did that? But if for some reason you wanted to step into that chaos, it's not chaos, it's great, and you were younger than me, what I would say to you is younger ministry leader, younger pastor, just listen to the dude with gray hair. Do not become friends on social media with people in your church. I, I don't, I, okay? Younger people don't listen to me. And it bites them in their fanny. And they come and they say, I'm like, you should listen, right? I am friends with like two people at Calvary Church. The only reason I'm friends with two people at Calvary Church is because I knew them 29 years ago before I became a pastor of Calvary Church, right? I tell people, so I am not friends with you on social media. You're like, what does this have to do with anything, Peter? Here's what it has to do with things, Peter. Just because you put something on your social media page about a hard time that you're going through does not mean that we're ever going to know that. We're not going to know that. And we don't want you to be hurt. And I, I'm not reacting to anything, right? There's no, I don't react to things. I'm just looking forward. We don't want you to go through a hard time and put it on social media and assume that people know what's going on. Because we're not, we, if I'm not your Facebook friend, I'm not going to know. And so we can't walk with you if you don't let us know what we're going through. You're going through. Can we walk with you better? We can always improve how we do it. But we're not even going to have that opportunity unless you know. And, and we don't want you to walk alone because others have walked this path. And we want that to be of a help and encourage to you. 
what James says is, hey, if you need some examples of people who've gone through things, he, he says, look, let me give you some, right? In the scripture, there's prophets, there's people, there's a dude named Job. The Hebrews 11, if you want to look, it talks about all these faithful people. We don't even know their names, but they were persecuted for their faith. They went through difficulties. There's a prophet in the Old Testament, a dude named Jeremiah. Man, whenever I think I'm having a hard day as a pastor, I just think of old boy Jeremiah. That dude, man. He got his tail whooped just trying to obey God. God's pretty much like, hey, your ministry's going to fail. People are going to hate you. They're going to like put you in a bucket for 42 years. But hey, go out there and tell them I love them. Have fun. Good luck. Good day, right? I'd encourage you, if you want to see a biblical example of people who have gone through some hard times, Man, read one of those things. I'd encourage you to read it with a commentary, soniclight.com, soniclight.com, soniclight.com. Maybe it's org, I don't know. But, man, you can Google that. That is a uh, seminary professor's study notes of every book of the Bible. And it is written for people who didn't go to seminary, and it's an incredibly helpful tool. And I'd encourage you to think about grabbing one of those and working through one of those issues if you want an example. And as he's drawing out from Job, he, he gives us this other tool, and he says this. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. What, in the book of Job, there's four purposes that God worked through the suffering that he went through. And here's what James wants to remind us of. God didn't waste Job's suffering. He used the suffering to accomplish several purposes in his life, and what James is doing is reminding you and reminding me that whatever you're going through, God leverages it and he works to redeem it so that the pain isn't wasted. God will not keep us from every difficulty, but God always works within the difficulty for his purposes. God will not keep us from every difficulty, but God always works within the difficulty for his purposes And that gives us this tool to know that God is working within the difficulty to accomplish his purposes for your life. Know that God is working within that difficulty to accomplish his purposes for your life. And he does that because he's good, which is linked with this final thing that James tells us, his last verse, our last point for the day. It says this, Right, he talks about, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And the final tool is this, anchor yourself to the truth that God is good. Anchor yourself to the truth that God is good and if what you're going through is bad stuff caused by people who aren't good, anchor yourself to the truth that God is good even when others are not. For those of you who this morning are facing difficulties or when you're in that moment, what, what God wants you to do is be patient. Be patient. And a tool to help you, some tools to help you and me in that is to know that the difficulties you face will have an end, to stay the course to not become bitter towards others in the body, to remember that others have walked this path, that know that God is working within the difficulty to accomplish his purposes in your life and to remember and anchor yourself to the truth that God is good even when others aren't. I'm going to ask Emmanuel and the team to come on back up here. And as they come up here, I want to give you one, one takeaway, one thing I'd ask you to do. This week, 
what I'd love for you to do. Right, right now, take a picture of this, right? Write it down, write it down fast. Uh, I'd do something with it, and here's what I'd like you to do this week. I, I'd love you to spend a few minutes just, just thinking through all these, and then here's the first thing I'd want you to do. I'd want you to, for each of these, come up with a lie that you might be likely to believe for each of these. For each of these, come up with a lie that you might be likely to believe. For example, right, the know the difficulty you now face one, and the lie could be this will never end. The lie could be this is how it will always be. The lie could be it will never get better. Maybe for this one, right, that, that remember if others have walked the path, the lie is nobody knows what I'm going through. No, nobody can relate. Nobody's ever lost their job a year before retirement. Nobody's ever faced this health issue. Nobody's ever struggled with a spouse who's an alcoholic. Nobody was ever sexually abused as a teen in their 50s having to deal with it. Nobody else has ever had an abortion and had to process, what do we do with that? Nobody else has ever had a child that's made some bad choices. I'm all alone. That could be the lie that you believe, but the truth is to remember that others have walked this path. Work through this list for each of those. Identify the lie that either you are believing or you may be tempted to believe, and then what I encourage you to do is you confront that lie with this truth. You confront that lie with this truth to help you patiently keep pressing on. Father, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to open up your word to hear from you. And, and you don't want to waste your words. We know there's a purpose, and so I pray that this truth from your text, your scripture, will give comfort and a foundation and maybe just help somebody who had no idea what to do next to have some very clear things to do. Father, I pray for those people this morning who are facing difficulties. I pray for those who are going through health issues, Father, that you will give them peace. I pray for those spouses who are just in a really hard marriage who have felt unkindly treated or betrayed or all alone, that you will give them peace for those people who the anxiety is so crippling. I, I pray that supernaturally your Holy Spirit will pierce that anxiety so that they can leave those things with you and that they will experience the peace that passes understanding. Father, I pray you'll give strength, you'll give guidance, and you'll just help us all to know how richly and deeply and lavishly you care for us and you love us. Amen. Mm -hmm.